Support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from our friends at Bold Apps. You already know that their recurring orders app can add predictable recurring revenue to your business. But what if you want to sell monthly access to something? That's where Bold's recurring membership app comes in. You could sell a membership for exclusive access to your site's content, a monthly box service, or even offline services like dog walking. The only limitation is your imagination. So if you want to try recurring memberships out for free for two months, just go to ecommerce-bootcamp.com bold to get started today. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines. And it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Recording from EtherCycle headquarters outside Chicago, the Pickwick building for the time being. Really, I'm antsy, so antsy to move to our new office. You're going to hear a lot about it. I apologize. Anyway, this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. And when I think, when you think about like college kids starting an e-commerce business, um, and I I tried to start uh, an e-commerce business on eBay in college, and you know, basically I just got beer money. Uh, But when you think about like the really successful ones, the like the the prototypical story it's you've got you know a couple guys are roommates and they're in college and they start they got an idea for business because it's something they like that they're into and they they start selling their friends they go oh well we should start a business start it up uh bring it online and promote it through social media and all of a sudden it's so successful they don't even need to bother going to class and they they drop out because who needs it right they've already figured out what their passion is what they're great at but i've never actually met someone who went down that that literal archetypal story until right now. So joining us today from Jerky, previously uh, JerkyXP.com, and we'll get into that, and now ships a lot, is Max Zitney. He and his twin brother started Jerky XP out of an Ohio State apartment when they were sophomores in college. I love it. Uh, Max, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I uh, love chatting about e-commerce and, you know, just the the story as uh, e-commerce goes. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's always it's exciting and, and ever-changing. Um, it is ever-changing. So how many years have you been involved total? How many years ago did you start Jerky XP, which got you on this e-commerce journey? Um, uh, it's probably been six or so years ago. We uh, started Jerky XP out of our uh, Ohio State apartment where we would get pallets of jerky shipped to our uh, our apartment and we'd carry them up to the second <laughs> second story 
we'd come back from class and be right, a UPS truck would just have like 45 boxes of jerky just waiting for us to move to our apartment. I remember one time not making it back in time and this poor UPS guy carried all of the boxes up himself to the second story. And I was like, oh crap, <laughs> not good. Not a good relationship building there. But yeah, it was uh, six years ago. We, we had a great product and uh, we loved it and we had friends taste and they loved it. And we just decided let's, uh, Let's start an e-commerce store and sell it through uh, social media. That was really the the gist of it. So, all right, let's let's go backwards. How did it yep. start? How do you start with like how do you end up in a place where a pallet of jerky has showed up to your apartment <laughs> building? Yeah, um, we were part of a, a club at Ohio State called the Business Builders Club, and we just um, networked with people, and really that's that's where we got the uh, the idea for uh, to do to start Jerky XP, um, and then we. Found the, found the producer of it, uh, found a really good producer, and had them uh, send us samples. We tasted the samples, and we went from there. Uh, we ordered, you know, pallets of, or not pallets. It was actually started off with cases, uh, cases of each flavor. Started selling those, and those would sell out within like a couple hours. Honestly, we we would really promote through social media, which was our like we liked a lot. We loved social media. We liked to uh, to engage with um, potential customers. So is the, and how did the initial idea come up? You just said like, we like jerky, let's get some jerky. <laughs> no, actually someone else, someone previously had somewhat of a, another jerky. They had the, they had the end to the, the producer and we, we pretty much like kind of bought that into the producer and they showed, showed us the producer. We went to the producer and we started, uh, we started to rename this company that was previously something else, but it was really like a mutual uh, friendship that turned into us taking over this basically defunct jerky company. Okay. And we we renamed it basically. Uh, we were just walking down like High Street one day, and we were like, "We like video games. You get XP when you're playing video games. Uh, let's just call it Jerky XP." And then we just went 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 with that from the day forward. And we got all the Twitters, we got all the social medias up uh, online, and we just started promoting to uh, gamers. Really, that was that was it. So you have, like, looking at it, you have um, at the website it's jerkyxp.com. Yep. Uh, yep. The logo has uh, a PlayStation controller. It says Jerky XP. Yep. There's a guy clearly gaming in the background, and it looks like yep. he's doing like a Let's Play video because he's got a mic. Yeah. Um, and then it says the the positioning statement, the headline is premium beef jerky for the ultimate gamer. Yep. When I saw this, I didn't think twice about it. It made total sense to me. Looking at it now, it is a strange, like, looking at it objectively, it is a strange and arbitrary niche in that, like, literally anyone who is not a vegetarian can eat beef jerky and not just gamers, but it's, this is beef jerky for gamers. And it, like, did you put, was there nope. thought into it or you're just like, this is what we like, so this is what we're doing? Started off, we were selling friends and family. And then we actually, went to an MLG event at Ohio State. There was one Which at the... Major League uh, Gaming. Major League Gaming, yeah. Major League Gaming event at OSU. And we were like, wow, there's a bunch of kids that are snacking on these things. Why wouldn't they want to snack on ver beef jerky? You always get it when you go to the gas station. We wanted to offer it to kids that are sitting around just playing video games, high-protein snack. Um, so it was just... It was just... Uh, we were sitting around playing video games, and that's how it came to be. We we're like, wow, this this has to be. Oh, oh, the one thing that really set us off. This is kind of out of nowhere. Was for some reason, Soldier Boy was playing uh, 
Madden or something on Twitch, and we looked at the people that were watching him him stream. It was like thirty thousand people were watching him play, oh, and and we were like. Okay, well, what if he was promoting something? Like, what if he promoted jerky or something like that? And that's where we got the sense, like, these guys actually have a big influence on what these kids are actually buying. Um, so that's really, really where, like, we're like, we got to go. We, we got to go after this niche. And it sounds like, it sounds obvious now, but six years ago, tapping into that market and tapping into influencer marketing. Oh, yeah. Um, really, you were, you were ahead of your time, certainly. Yeah, that was it. The, the, one of the biggest things that uh, really... We we saw there's this there's this team called Phase Clan. There's just a bunch of uh, kids that play Call of Duty and do like trick shots. And we reached out to one of the players and we said, Hey, would you want to try some jerky? You don't have to promote it if you don't like it, but we're just gonna send you some. And that was the first, you know, basically, uh, I call it influencer that that got it. Someone in this this clan that had two hundred thousand followers on Twitter. And that's really how it started. He put it out on his Twitter, like, oh, my God, Jerky XP is great. You guys should try this out. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting paid to do this. I just like the product. And that's how that influencer marketing started. And everyone was like, oh, Jerky XP is the real deal. Hmm. So you got something like, all right, so you've, you found, you saw it, you knew you wanted the niche. You had an unfair advantage in access to this distributor. How did you, you came up with a brand name, just walking around, perfectly fine. Um, the... A dumb question. How did you, you've got cool branding and really cool packaging. Did you start with that or was it like very basic at first? Oh, it was very basic. It was like, honestly, we printed stuff off the printer at our apartment and put it over top of the plastic bag, basically. They came with a little small label on it. And then we had to like, we, we did a lot of manual stuff in the beginning to make sure it would uh, look good. And then we progressed. We're like, hey, it's starting, we're starting to sell okay. a lot of this. Let's make, let's make the labels better and just started going like that. So small incremental improvements. And then yeah, we, yep. you started selling to your friends and family, which kind of validated the idea. Yep. Um, and then your, your first big break, your first promotion for it was getting, um, was getting this gamer on Twitter to promote yep. it. Um, and for people who don't know, this is like 100%, this is what the kids are into. I know that makes yeah. me sound old, but I've got, you know, I've got a, a six and an eight year old at home. Yeah. They don't watch TV. They watch YouTube and they watch, they often watch let's plays and and people yep. you know doing the most bizarre performances you could conceive of while essentially doing a screencast of like goat simulator or some other oddball game and they love it they absolutely love it um they do so this is and those kids are six and eight like it, it does not stop oh, yeah it keeps and on going the thing is like uh, some of them you know they might not have credit cards but i'm pretty sure their parents credit cards are somehow accessible because we've we had kids that were ordering like hundreds of dollars of jerky and then their parents would call us like hey why did you let my kid order this and i'm like <laughs> not really it's not really our problem that you you don't know where your credit where your credit card's at so it was yeah, that's uh, a scary it, issue i like how they made it issue. it's telling well oh. as a parent it's telling that they may, tried to make that your problem as though you can yep. tell the age of the person ordering it's oh yeah jerky's exactly. not an age-restricted product you would never put like a thing up here no oh, silly <laughs> It was it was funny. We got that multiple times, and uh, it was funny. <laughs> All right. So, how did you get you? Uh, you said you were able you were able to turn Twitter followers into buyers. That basically yep. makes you an alchemist, because I have yet to see anyone be successful with social with marketing on Twitter specifically. How did that I, work? That worked by um, so we we how we really how we really got the buyers from Twitter followers was. We built an email list as well. So here's what we did for like the first, I would say, year is that every month we had a, a pallet of jerky come and it would have only a limited amount of jerky on it. 
and we would tell our Twitter followers, hey, like get on our email list. The first people on the email list will get a 20% discount and a, a secret code to get on the website so that they can get on the website early and you know they're going to get on the limited Basically, they're going to get in and buy jerky before everyone else. And they really, people really, they like that. They like to be like in the exclusive, I got jerky before anyone got it live. And the site had a secret code that they could get in. So they like that. Um, that email list started, you know, at zero and it grew, you know, it's at 40,000. So it, we grew that email list just by making it like, uh, what do you want to call it? Scarcity of the product being sold out. And we did that. We were selling out in like 48 hours. Everything would be gone because we pretty much made it uh, scare like people thought it was gonna be gone so and it really was um, and, and after doing that for a year it was like okay we gotta make sure stuff's in stock people actually want to buy it after 48 hours so we started to get on the path of keeping it in stock all the time and then adding subscriptions so really that that just took some time with interacting with the the, the Twitter followers we responded to every tweet people love that they love that we could respond to them they love that if they had a question about the jerky or gaming we could talk to them about it um, we, they really could connect with us, and I think that the connect the connection between the Twitter follower and us selling a product was they really like that. They like that big brands talk to them. I really think that that that's what kids want. I I totally agree. I looked. I just loaded up uh, the Jerky XP Twitter followers. Yep. One hundred thirteen thousand. Oh yeah, that took a lot of hours. <laughs> that's wild. It took a lot of hours. Um, you know, it's it was just all interaction. Um, it. That was what took up all of our time. Uh, we did that for a long time, and it's it worked. It worked for what it what it was doing, and we we liked it. Um, and then we you know we got into some other stuff, and it kind of we slid away from doing it a little bit. But we really that's what really built the brand. Hmm. Uh, okay, so once you've got so essentially the flow was like you got on Twitter, um, you had some influencer outreach happen where people were were promoting it, uh, were mentioning it, promoting it for you. Did you reach out to them? Did you did you have to compensate them, or did they just they like the brand? They liked you. Yeah, most of them, most of the people just liked working with us. We were just really genuine with them, and they reached out to us and they want people wanted to promote. So we were just friendly, friendly, you know, business basically. They wanted a code. They wanted to push it to their followers. That was really it. The other one thing that we kind of did that was kind of was pretty cool is that we actually have a, a, a Yorkie, a dog, and we made it, the dog the CEO, and. Uh, they really loved pictures of the dog and this dog's name, Jack, the CEO on Twitter. And he would just like say, Hey, you know, jerky's in stock. And it, it was just a cool way of going about customer service via a dog. So, uh, people love that. We would bring him to like events and, um, that was really, really cool because people would take pictures with them, post about it, and they would just create more interaction. Uh, we just didn't want to be the face of the company. So we're like, why don't we just make our dog the face of the company? So that was really it. <laughs> Even without making you the face of the company, you still yeah. like the entire company is built around or was built around your personality and your what you liked. And yep. we've got, yeah. Um, oh my God, Jack the CEO follows me on Twitter. I just discovered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jack. The one, with, the thing with Jack was we. I I ran Jack's account and I pretty much did follow for follow. I followed everyone back just because I don't. I don't, it wasn't even really a, didn't really matter to, to what we were doing. I just wanted to follow people, and it actually got it, it actually grew that it grew that following nicely. Um, it wasn't anything like I know people care about their ratio and everything, but for what we were doing, it didn't really matter. It worked. It got followers. It got interactions. So if it works, it works. I I do I, I do see a lot of people following like a million people, and then they have a million followers. But it, if you don't have the interactions, then it doesn't that doesn't really matter. It's all about interactions. Okay. 
Yeah. So just having, it's not enough just to, to get the followers. Um, yeah. You have to actually be engaged. How much time oh, went yeah. into social media for this? Oh my gosh. Uh, honestly, we would respond to every, we responded to every uh, tweet that came in and that probably took up 20 hours a day. Honestly, we were just on our phones. We were walking around just tweeting kids about jerky and talking about Call of Duty is what it really was. So it was a lot of hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots geez. of hours. I, honestly, when I when I see uh, like um, social media managers and people that do run these co- accounts, and if if they ran them like they respond to everyone, they're working a lot of hours, and I I hope that they're getting compensated for what they're doing because it, if someone wanted to take what we were doing, that would have been a lot of overtime, honestly, because we were working late at, late at night, and it was, you know it's our own startup, so I mean it's whatever. But if you're if you're a social media manager, I would I would uh, definitely be making sure I'm compensated for the hours I put in after work. What do you think goes makes a good social media manager? Because you did it, you lived it yourself. Um, so I would say someone that responds in like it doesn't matter if there's a troll out there, it doesn't matter if someone's bashing your company. You need to respond in a way that makes it seem like you really you care, but you're not going to like get defensive about what they're saying. There, there's just trolls on the internet. Uh, they're you're, they're they're attacking you, but all you can do is say, hey, you know what? We like jerky and we like selling it, and we like uh, playing video games. It's it's nothing that we're going to get into an argument about. And that's how our philosophy was, like, never really get into huge arguments with um, Twitter followers. It just it doesn't look good as a brand. So always be nice to everyone and just interact in a way that you would uh, that would represent the brand. Do you think now – do you think things have changed? Do you think someone could replicate the same success on social media again following, I, that, like, that same playbook? Or is it too saturated, too different now? I honestly don't know if you could do it on Twitter. I don't, I mean, I think you, you might be able to, but a lot of people are trying the, you know, they're trying to do it. They're trying to interact and build, um, followings. I I think what you need to start with is, you know, like what can you actually really talk to people in depth about? Like we could talk about call of duty in depth and make call of duty jokes that people really liked. And they would get like thousands of retweets, tens of thousands of, of interactions. And we knew how to do that. So I think if you can really nail down the niche that you're going into and, uh, promote to them in a way that they like, then that would be a really, uh, really strong point for you building a brand. But the one thing is I, we said Twitter was our niche, like Twitter, all the people that played video games use Twitter. Maybe all the people in your niche use Pinterest or use Facebook or use Snapchat. You need to figure out which one they use, and then you need to go after you know that route. I still I do think it's getting saturated to the point it is it is getting a little more difficult to, to do. But I think that if you do it um, correctly, you can still make uh, make your way through it really well. So if you were to do it again, uh, well, is, the answer is go where your go to where your your audience is, and then just yep. be be authentic and available um, is what I'm getting out of this. Yep, exactly. And then the the call to action really for you was. Get them on your email list. Oh yeah, and do it by offering some level of exclusivity and scarcity. Exactly, and then the other thing we offered was it was more of like uh, when we first started, we were like, how do we get people to buy jerky that have never tried it? Uh, it's a food product online, and we offered this thing called the Gamer Pack. And in every Gamer Pack, you got something between one dollar and five hundred dollars, and that people were buying it because they're like, oh, I could win a, a scuff controller which is another company in the industry which was like a 250 dollars controller and Ooh. we gave away we gave away these promotional things for people to buy you know we had we had low value stuff and high value things but people bought for like these controllers or whatnot and then they fell in love with the jerky so it was kind of like a it was really like a, a 
bait and switch kind of. I don't know what you want to call it, but it was like they came in for this and then they stayed for the jerky. It was exactly what we wanted them to do. I, I, bait and switch is such a negative phrase. I don't think that's yeah, negative at all. Um, no, I mean, that's such what you offered. A, uh, well, lead magnet's not the right word, yeah, but I, it's I don't know something to it. that effect. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they had like there was a reason they opted in, and then yeah. you just kept per- you delivered on that promise, and then continued to provide them yep. value where they stuck around, and then the exactly. separates the wheat from the chaff. The people who were never going to buy just unsubscribe. Yep, exactly. That's what okay. we wanted. So after, um, as this business was growing, you going from you know your college college yeah. apartment where there's pallets showing up, and the poor UPS guys got to lug it up the stairs. Where did like clearly you didn't stay stay there? Where did no. it go from there? We uh. We actually applied for a uh, Chase, uh, was it Chase Mission Main Street grant, and um, we actually received a uh, hundred thousand dollars from grant uh, from grant from Chase, wow. uh, the bank, Chase the bank, and then we went out and we purchased a uh, a warehouse in Warren, Ohio, and <laughs> then we moved everything into that warehouse, and we started to just do more things, building the business, and. We had this big warehouse, we had jerky in it, but we had a lot of open space in it, and that's when we decided, like, let's offer our fulfillment services to other people. So that's that's where that came to be. Okay. Um, and then you started to offer your your services to other people. This became a second business. What, yep. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, while, we, while we were doing Jerky XP, uh, we actually had a fulfillment problem where we were looking for fulfillment centers, but we were always getting these, like, pricing models that, we're so like nickel and dime here and there. I can't figure out what my actual cost is going to be at the end of the day. And so we, we never really, we never outsourced our fulfillment. We did it all in house, obviously. And we built a, uh, a system uh, flow for receiving orders online through Shopify. It goes into the warehouse management system and then they would go out the door really quickly. Um, most of the orders were going out in less than like five hours. And we, people really liked the, the fulfillment really quick. They liked their tracking numbers. So, we took that. We had it really. We had it efficient. We uh, we knew how to how it worked, and we we're like, let's just let's offer this easy pricing model. We came up with an e- a simple pricing model so that people knew how to calculate what their fulfillment cost is going to be, and then what their shipping cost is going to be, uh, so that they could not have any surprises at the end of the month. Um, because you know, if you got nickel and dimes on every every pick and all this other stuff, uh, you just don't know what you're gonna get. So we made it really simple. We uh, we made it. We, it's really quick. Uh, orders that come in real time. We, they see it. The pit pickers uh, can see them in real time in our warehouse, and they're going out um, as fast as they can. So it was really about you know the flow, the efficiency, and then the the good, uh, really easy pricing model. So you had well, you, you had a couple. You had this um, a few unfair advantages here. You had this experience. You had access to this grant. You had your own warehouse, and you thought. And then, you, like uh, many entrepreneurial stories, you found you had a painter problem that you encountered. You fixed it for yourself and thought, well, gee, maybe I could do that for other people. Um, so, what are some of the? Okay, so you said the the big problem with three PLs with you know other fulfillment centers is they nickel and dime you. What are some of those hidden fees? Um. So, like one, some of them are. Uh, pick fees, uh, as many, like you could, it's like first picks a dollar and then every other pick is like 25 cents and then 10 cents as it trails off. It's like all these fees that, that that's like one of the fees structure that you can see. Um, other ones are, Hey, we'll do it for, you know, they'll do it for 10 cents, but then they add a bunch of hidden fees and like the shipping and things like that. So there's just a bunch of different, um, areas that people could, uh, hide those fees. Ours was just, 
how many orders are you doing a month? And then, uh, then you just take a, uh, just one number, like $3 an order. So every order you're doing that month is $3 for fulfillment plus the postage. And the postage would be, you know, as cheap as we could get it. And so you know that if I do a thousand orders a month, three dollars, three dollars an order, you're going to have that number plus the postage, and, and that's it. Um, and that's what we wanted people to uh, be able to see and understand, and, and they really, people really like that idea of the model, and it's working. Okay, the I like it. Um, so when you had once you started this this ships a lot company, how did you promote that one? Because so now we're we've gone yeah. from B to C in a really like an, a, an amazing time to jump into social media to now, this was only two years ago. So yeah. at this point, social media is already saturated. It's a B2B, which is really a very different animal. Uh, how did yeah. you promote that? We started with um, looking at Kickstarter and crowdfunding, uh, like Kickstarter, Indiegogo and reaching out to people on those um, that are running, that were running, uh, what do you want to call it? Kickstarter projects. And we saw that, you know, they have backers and they have, uh, people that are they're selling products and that's how we started we reached out to them and then we reached out to just any we looked at lists we got we got a few lists off of um let's see i think there's a shopify list that we got where we would we were just cold emailing and then cold calling so it was really just uh reaching out to people that seemed like they needed fulfillment to try to find who our our customer was going to be um that took that did take a little time that probably took like six months to figure out who we were going to be targeting and, and what um, businesses we really want to bring on. Uh, we didn't want to bring on everybody. We didn't want to just like bring on anyone. If you're selling one thing a month, we didn't want to bring on someone that was selling one thing a month, really. We want to bring on high-growth uh, e-commerce stores that need a dedicated um, person there to, to, run, to run the warehouse. We really want it to be like, it's your warehouse inside our warehouse. You can work. We can walk out in our warehouse and find your product and tell you how many we have, and it'll be updated on this on the on your dashboard. We just want to make it so that it was an ease uh, ease of uh, ease of use and just straightforward, and you weren't being like just put in the back room and, and not told anything. We wanted it to be really uh, forward. So the the solution was. So it sounded like you had to do the first thing you had to do was find who out. Find your customers, get yeah. to know them. And you did that yep. with cold emailing, uh, cold yep. outreach, which is brutal. Um, yeah, it, is. it it works, but it's it's a numbers game and it's rough. It you is. get a lot of people who are like, why are you emailing me? Exactly. That's it. Uh, that is really it. <laughs> but within that, you were able to figure out like, okay, this is our ideal customer. Here's who we want to serve. Here's who we want to work with. Yep. And then reach yeah. out to them more. Um, I saw that you do... You were doing um, on the Ships a Lot Facebook page. You were doing Facebook Live videos, and this seems like the next exciting thing in social media. Um, I haven't, you know, I, I've not done a Facebook Live. I've participated in a couple. I thought it was really cool. Tell me about that experience. I actually think that the Facebook Live ads um, it validates, you know, that there are really people behind these businesses. I feel like uh, going back even to the Jerky XP uh, businesses, like people don't they might forget that there are really people behind these Twitter accounts and these businesses that are making it all happen. So like the Facebook live really puts the people that are doing the work and, and know the business really well out there in front of uh, others to see. And, um, I think that it just validates what, what you're doing and you could talk about, uh, real things live right there. If someone comments under like, Hey, tell me more about 
e-commerce uh, email marketing, you could talk about that, or fulfillment times and things like that. So I think it brings a, just a, a closer bond with the companies and the people that they're trying to approach. Yeah, certainly. I think any regular listener to this show knows one of my uh, my my now aphorisms is uh, people buy from people, not brands. Yep. And that, I think, you make uh, a very strong case for Facebook Live using that idea. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't necessarily, like, I don't want to buy from Target. I want to, I want to know who the person is I'm buying from. And that's the big advantage that small businesses have over big businesses. I think so. I really, I, it's, it kind of goes back to like a brick and mortar back in the day. There Absolutely. Are a lot of these brick, there's like these brick and mortar stores and you liked buying from, you know, Susan down the road and you liked buying from the guys that are at the hardware store. And it's, it's really the same thing, but it just moved on to the online world now. Like you can like a brand online and really be loyal to, you know, buying from them because you like who they are. Like you you like what you're uh, put where you're putting your money basically and what you're getting in return. So yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. All right. So help me with this one. You were running two businesses and then as you get like both of them, so, you know, Jerky XP was successful, ships a lot, starts taking off. What, uh, what kind of problems did that create for you? Is it, is it easy to do? I mean, what, what happened there? Yeah. Uh, so that it's, um, it's a little tough <laughs> doing both is tough because you want to be at a high level on both of them. And, you know, it's like, obviously Mark Cuban and all these guys run multiple businesses, but I don't know if they're on the, the ground floor running them. So that might be a little different when you don't have you know an assistant or something so if you're running them two or three businesses by yourself you might lose steam on one a little bit but uh that's not really that great i would rather you know put 100 percent effort into one of the businesses and make sure it it could see its potential um and then the other like for jerky xp we just put we had a lot of time on social media but we couldn't spend as much time as we wanted to anymore so we had to figure out what we wanted to do with it just because it was it's a great business but we just didn't want to see it go to the wayside because we were starting another business so honestly i think you have to pick what you really want to do and then um focus on that and and make sure that the other business that you're running either is in the right hands or uh you bring in someone to run it or sell it but in our case we did sell jerky xp and then we focused on chips a lot because we really like um, e-commerce and helping B two B with shipping and fulfillment. What was the moment where you knew you had to make a choice uh, and sell one of them? Um, really, when we were forgetting to do things for ships a lot, and then forgetting to do things for Jerky XP. So if you know we needed to do something for Jerky XP, and we had like a meeting or something, and we missed it because we were doing something for ships a lot, it was just not really good business. It doesn't you start losing credibility and uh, don't really want to lose credibility in uh, two businesses that you're running. I want to go, you know, full steam on one. And if you're, you are putting one to the wayside and, and neglecting people, I think that that's really a problem. You want to make sure you're focused. Absolutely. Um, yep. So once you've sold, you sold Jerky XP uh, about yep. six months ago. Yep. Um, any learnings from that process? Like, did you get lucky and you were able to sell it to a friend, or uh, did you sell it through? How did you sell it? Honestly, honestly, through LinkedIn. We were just, we posted. Uh, we were just actually, actually, uh, honestly, we were running ships a lot. It was going. It's it's going well. We kind of weren't doing too much of the jerky XP at the time, and someone messaged us on LinkedIn like, "Hey, you know, I I see you guys are working on ships a lot. A lot. What are you doing with jerky XP?" And we're like, "Oh, this is great. Someone's you know looking at jerky XP, and we we are." 
trying to do both at the same time. So it was more of like right place, right time kind of thing. Um, and that's really, it was link, it was really through a LinkedIn connection. So it wasn't just on a, a website. I think there's, a, there were a few websites we were going to put it on, but like Flippa or something, but we just, they look like they, they took, they have a, they took a big commission or whatnot, but we, we got, we were in the right place, right time. But yeah, it sounds like you got lucky. I mean, that's such an ideal yeah, scenario. That is, it really was. Honestly, I guess, you know, you work hard, you get lucky. I think that's, I think that's it. Yeah. You create your own luck. Um, yeah, you create your luck somehow. So uh, were, were there any lessons, anything that you learned uh, from selling the business? Um, just make sure you have uh, all of your, all of how you do certain things in line so that when you turn the business over to someone, they're not, you know, constantly coming back to you and asking how you did this, how you did this, how you did you talk to the manufacturer and all this other stuff. So we had all that stuff in line and it was an easy turnover. Everything that we needed to do or the, the, the next owner needed to do, we told them how to do it and they could easily flow in. They could easily come into what our, our, our chair and basically run the company. And that was really it. So I've asked several people this question, and every time yep. they come back with essentially, you need to have standard operating procedures for everything you do. I mean, essentially, people yeah. want just hey, drop like I listen. We the check clears, drop a binder in front yep. of me that just yep. lays out like everything I got to do to run this business. <laughs> yeah, those SOPs were something that we actually didn't do. I would say we did. We did okay on Jerky XP, but we learned a lot from, you know, it was our first business, our first, you know, real business, I guess you could say. But uh, if you, those SOPs really help the next people understand maybe how efficient it is or what to exactly do. So that's, that helps a lot. I, you need those in place. Very good. Okay. Uh, I think we're, we're coming to the end of our time together. Yep. Um, is there anything you wish every Shopify store owner would do any uh, information, a piece of misinformation you'd like to correct anything at all. Um, honestly, we do, we do a lot of shipping. We do a, a lot of receiving and warehousing and things like that, but we do our fulfillments, our biggest business. And I think that if you really want to focus on growing your business, uh, you don't want to focus too much on the problems that you'll encounter with uh, fulfillment and honestly outsourcing it to, ships a lot or someone like us is a great a great way to free up your time and market your company um just because you you might not know all the ins and outs of fulfillment and shipping but there are people like us that know it very well and and basically can do it just as you know just as it's like your own warehouse like for us our our clients they can come out to our warehouse and they can look at what's going on and it's really just like an extension of their business and that's that's really it. So I think that focusing on what you're really good at is the takeaway from that. We, we give people the time to focus on on marketing. Very good. Great advice. And I would be, I mean, it sounds like a good business. I would be comfortable yeah. having you having you ship for me. Um, yep. Fortunately, all my stuff is digital. So <laughs> Yeah. We have, we have, we have uh, one of our, one of the people we ship for is uh, Founder Magazine, and um, they have digital copies, but they also have hardback, hardcover books, and they, we ship a lot of books. So it's uh, either way, we we do a lot of uh, physical shipments. Very good. Okay, uh, Max, where can people go to learn more about you? You can go to uh, shipslot.com. Um, you could 
follow on ships a lot on twitter and our facebook page is ships a lot but my personal is max sydney on twitter i use that the most and uh, just like to stay up to date on anything e-commerce so that's really it cool max thank you i appreciate it thank you kurt thanks for having me on the show and that's it for us today at the unofficial shopify podcast I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so please join our Facebook group, which we've, we've cracked a 1,000 members. Very proud of that. Uh, it's the search for unofficial Shopify podcast insiders and talk to us. Or sign up for my newsletter, kurtelster.com. We just launched a new vanity site. Check it out. Search my name, Kurt Elster. Uh, tell me what you think. Either way, you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. And of course, if you'd like to work with me on your next project, you can apply at ethercycle.com. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.